0: Most parents I speak to have been there, exhausted at the end of the busy day, looking around a room full of toys and clothes and probably food on the floor, and no energy to deal with it. The fact is our lives have been impacted heavily by consumerist culture, and it's no fault of our own, and sometimes even though we know better, we get stuck in the spiral. The marketing and social pressure makes it appealing and easy to accumulate stuff, but it's costing us more than we might think. In this episode, I'm speaking with Stephanie Safarian, host of the Sustainable Minimalism podcast and author of the book by the same name. We cover the basics of eco-minimalism, how to approach minimalism as a lifestyle, not just a single decluttering exercise, practical and tangible tips to declutter if your home is not yet minimalist, and of course, I weave in the benefits as it relates to reducing toxins at home as well even if you are not yet a parent, this is the time when a lot of the clutter can enter our home. So I kick off the conversation with some strategies and things to think about for parents to be so that hopefully you can prevent the clutter and the stuff from becoming a problem in the first place. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the Missing Pillar of Health podcast, the show that tackles the often misunderstood and underestimated topics related to toxins and their impact on our health and well-being. I'm your host, environmental engineer, mom of two, and founder of Green at Home, Emma Roman. My mission is to help you reduce toxins in your life without fear, judgment, or shame, so you can be more informed and empowered to take action on issues that matter to your health. The research is clear that toxic chemicals found in the products we use, food we eat, water we drink, and air we breathe are contributing to the rise of chronic illness, allergies, infertility, autoimmune disease, and more. The good news is you can reduce your exposure without having to drastically change your lifestyle, and I'm here to show you how. As Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. I believe addressing toxins is a critical step towards creating healthier and happier families, communities, and ultimately a better planet. And that starts right here, right now. Let's dive into today's show. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Emma. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. I'm
0: looking forward to this conversation. You and I chatted on another two podcasts already, so I feel like we are podcast besties now. So we'll see if we can yeah, weave in some new topics for today, but I know I will learn something from you regardless. And this is such an important topic for a lot of people, especially... Expectant or new parents, I find because the amount of clutter and stuff that comes with kids can be really overwhelming. But I think a lot of us deal with overwhelm when it comes to the amount of stuff that we have in our homes. And some of the strategies that I talk about when it comes to reducing toxins deals with getting rid of stuff that you don't need, but also housekeeping and dusting and even a, a simple act like that can be made much more complicated, the more stuff that we have. So the goal of this episode is, I think, to help make it a bit more approachable and to give you practical and tangible tips. And Stephanie is chock full of them. So I can't wait to dive in. Before we do, can you share a little bit about you? And I would love to know what inspired you to write your book.
1: Yes. Well, again, thank you so much for having me, Emma. My name is Stephanie Satherian. I am the host of the Sustainable Minimalist podcast, which is a show that puts out two episodes per week all about minimalism, eco-friendly living, that place in which conscious consumerism and eco-friendliness collide. I started the podcast shortly after I became a mother, which is now, oh my goodness, five years ago, I believe. And I started the podcast because of what you just were talking about, which is when a new baby comes, also comes an awful lot of stuff. And I'm sitting at home with my new baby, totally sleep deprived, totally overwhelmed, but still I found myself looking at the piles of baby clothes and the piles of toys and just thinking to myself, oh my goodness, this stuff is stressing me out and it's harming the planet. And so nobody was really talking about conscious consumption and eco-friendliness. Being a more conscious consumer is a powerful way to practice eco-friendliness. And you asked about my book. Thank you for doing so. The book is named after the podcast. It's called Sustainable Minimalism. I realized after podcasting for four-ish years that a podcast is a great way to put out bite-sized chunks of information into the world. The podcast has been phenomenal for me as a podcaster. And I believe for my listeners too, it gives tangible tips. But what a podcast can't do is provide a step-by-step logically and chronologically placed order of how to do things. When we're talking about eco-friendliness or eco-minimalism, I do believe that there are first steps for newbies, and then there are intermediate steps And then there are the advanced strategies. So, if somebody was to come to my podcast and listen to my episode on, I don't know, canning, let's say, they're going to say, "Oh no, heck no, eco friendliness is not for me. I'm out of here." That would be. (laughs) They just need to start at the beginning, and so the book was a perfect way to provide that realistic roadmap.
0: I love it, and it's so it's so true and important. You know, when when you put out content into the internet or earbuds in various formats. It's little snippets, right? It's not something that is necessarily going to be able to walk you step by step. And I think, you know, people say, well, why do I need to buy a book or buy a course? I can just Google everything. And yeah, that's true. Like literally all of the information you need to do anything is out there on the internet. That's not what your book or my courses or what other things that you might be purchasing from experts, they tell you how to do it and what the sequence is and how do you, how to apply what you learn on Google in real life. So that's a great distinction.
1: Yes. And can I just add something there? It, you know, we're talking about in your situation on your platform, you're talking about creating a low toxin home. That's a lifestyle change. I'm talking about embracing eco minimalism. That is a lifestyle overhaul. And so when you're talking about making drastic changes on the whole, I do believe that just, you know, Googling how to compost or how to declutter your entryway, you know, that that helps and that's great. But when you, like the book is set to make, take a wider lens and show you the whole picture, how decluttering the entryway is going to help your life, how composting is going to help the planet. And so
0: I just wanted to say that. (laughs) And that's important. You know, starting with why is something that I talk about a lot and getting really clear why you want to make this change. Because if you're like, oh yeah, my house is cluttered and I really want to get rid of stuff and you just end there, you're not going to actually put in the effort to do it because you don't have a really strong why. It's just this kind of general desire. And so... I think it's really important for any kind of lifestyle shift. And you know, you're talking about these drastic lifestyle changes. It's not like today your lifestyle is going to look like X and tomorrow it's going to look like a totally different alphabet, (laughs) right? It's going to be, it's going to be steps along the way. And so for people listening who are, are thinking, yeah, this, you know, minimalism is something that I have been interested in. We do have too much stuff in our home, but it's just. I don't even know where to start. So let's start at the beginning. And what does minimalism mean to you?
1: So there's a lot of definitions out there on the interweb. I minimalism is a hot button topic. It is frequently googled, right? But for me, minimalism is the intentional choice to live with less. But eco-minimalism then, which is really what my platform covers, is the intentional choice to live with less for the benefit of our planet.
0: I love it. And I think we get stuck in these labels and being able to understand how our choices affect so many different aspects of our communities, our lives, the planet. I think that's a really important piece to weave in. And so, you know, you started thinking about this, looking around your house with, with baby stuff. And as I mentioned off the top, I think that's a very common place when people start to realize, holy crap, we have a lot of stuff. And so for expectant parents, let's, let's talk about the kind of prevention first. And then we'll give some strategies for folks who maybe are already in the thick of stuff accumulation. But for people who maybe aren't yet there and realize that they don't want to get there, how can people set themselves up for success ahead of time before accumulating all the baby junk?
1: Well, for those people, you are in the perfect spot. You're in the sweet spot. I wish I was thinking about all of this when right. I was an expected mom. I wasn't thinking about any of this. I was thinking, oh my goodness, I'm about to become a mother. I want to be a good mother. And in a, consumpti- uh, in a society where overconsumption is the norm, we tend to internalize the fact that being a good whatever, being a good mom, being a good I don't know, wife being a good whatever inc- has, means accumulating a lot of stuff, right? Nobody, no mom wants their child to be deprived or left out or it lacking in any way. And so we accumulate stuff because we think that's what, that's what we see everybody else doing. And that's what we think we're supposed to do. So for anybody who's expectant and doesn't want frilly dresses in my case or piles of plastic toys, prevention is number one, don't bring it in to start with. The decluttering is a consequence of bringing in too much stuff. So if you can be intentional about what you allow into your home, what you purchase, what you ask for, for gifts,
0: you are heads and shoulders above where the rest of us start. And I think when we are more conscious about what we bring in, and especially for babies, I mean, the marketing out there that tells us, you know, We need this toy and this activity book and this play gym or your baby's not going to develop a healthy, smart brain, right? Like we're told all of these things and then we it makes us feel like we have to have all of these different pieces for our baby. And certainly there are things that can, you know, help babies in their play and there's lots of things that are useful. But so many of those things are also plastic and cheaply made and they're not going to last and they have toxic chemicals in them that I talk about all the time avoiding. And so on the prevention side, I think by being conscious, like you said, with what you bring in and what you are asking for part of buying better, you know, some wood toys or play mats that are made with more natural materials, like those are going to be more expensive than a lot of the stuff that you'll find in conventional stores. And so by consciously choosing better made products that might be more expensive, you're ultimately kind of forcing yourself to have less because if you're looking at your budget, are you going to buy, you know, 50 of these chewable book things or are you going to have a couple really well-made, useful, developmental wooden toys, for example, right? And so I think there's, again, there's so many different layers to this and so many benefits to buying better. And one of them is you have the benefit of less.
1: Yes, I would totally agree with all of that. I wasn't thinking about the health issues associated with soft plastic when I was buying or when I was getting gifts of soft plastic balls or toys. And then my daughter, my toddler's putting them in her mouth. I I know better now, but I do believe that less but better is a you know, kind of mantra to start with. I should say that these days there are toy subscriptions where I know one off the top of my head, they came on my show, Tiny Earth Toys. It's a wooden toy subscription box. So every three months they send you toys and then you send them back so that you're not getting the clutter, but you are getting the quality toys and your kid hopefully doesn't get bored. So in 2022, there are solutions to these problems that have nothing to do with going to the store and buying a bunch of plastic junk that your kid's going to play with from a very short amount of time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've seen I've seen those sorts of subscription rental services like so you use the toys and then you give it back and they clean them and whatever. And so that you can progress developmentally. I've seen one of those out of Toronto. I follow them on Instagram. I forget the name, but I'll drop them in the show notes. I haven't used them, but I thought it was a great, a great way to help reduce your consumption and waste at the end of the day. So you can do only so much when it comes to what you are buying and consciously reducing in your home, but there's well-meaning grandparents and friends who maybe don't have kids yet and you end up with hundreds of stuffies that my kids still have in their beds. And like I was I thought stuffies were adorable and I had a hard time turning them down when I was pregnant because, you know, hormones, I suspect. (laughs) So how how do you handle those conversations with people who might be contributing to the accumulation of stuff in your house?
1: That's such a good question. And it's one I get all the time and I should say that first and foremost, we all have different relationships with our parents, our in-laws, our aunts and uncles. So what works for me might not work with your, yeah. for your over gifting mother-in-law, right? But I believe that it starts for all of us by having a conversation about what we want our children's childhoods to look like. So don't frame the conversation as Oh, we don't want plastic because of this or we don't need like that's very negative and that's going to turn the gifter off. And frankly, the gifter might not even get it, might not listen. But if you flip the script and instead you talk about how you envision your child's positive childhood, you envision ample space for downtime to enable creativity and the development of a robust imagination, you prioritize items that are not going to become waste or or going to break after two uses and then you have to throw them in the trash. So I think being positive about these conversations is step one. Step two would be to always be ready as a parent with what your children need, what they need. So I have a running list in my house. My Both of my daughter's birthdays are in March. I've been curating their birthday list since before Christmas. So that when the in-laws ask me, when my parents ask me what do the kids want for their birthday, yes, sure, they want a squishmallow, if you know what that is. Yes. <laughs> they want that. But what they need is spring clothes. Yes. <laughs> so I'm gonna tell their grandparents that. I would also t- say too that my daughters, you know, they like toys. Who doesn't like toys? But they what they love more than toys is they love quality time with they are loved ones. They love experiences. If my mom said, Hey, Ani, do you want to come to my house and have a sleepover? And we'll do a cooking lesson. That one on one special time would not only mean more to her, but it would create lasting memories that a plastic, I don't know, camera, toy camera could ever give. So ask for experiences. Be armed with a list and just know that changing other people's gifting habits That's not going to happen overnight. I'm I'm still working on it six, seven years later. So start the conversation, but be prepared to play the long game and have it many times.
0: (laughs) And I think modeling what you want is really helpful too. Like I started giving more experiential gifts myself as kind of a, this is something that I enjoy giving and I would enjoy receiving. And so showing people that there is a different way of doing it. And hopefully it's an experience that they would appreciate as well, you know, to your point. But I think we're at a point where the status quo isn't good enough anymore. And if we don't drive the change, then we're just going to keep perpetuating the constant kind of consumerist cycle. And I think that's a big part of conscious consumerism is, yes, making decisions in your home and the stuff that you are buying, but also advocating for a different way of doing things. And there's numerous films and videos and resources that you can point people to showing the garbage in the ocean. Like we have a very tangible visual to go along with some of these requests as well. And, you know, not to shove it down people's throats, but if they're not getting it, you could say, you know, here's, I watched this and this really woke me up to some of the problems with how we are buying. These are a couple things I learned. You can check it out on Netflix here, right? And I can't think of the actual titles off the top of my head, but there are, there are a lot. And some of them I actually, there was one that came out on ocean and seafood in particular that I couldn't bring myself to watch, but I will at some point. (laughs) But there's, you know, these sorts of documentaries are are coming out. And so I think that's a good way too, because then they are watching the message from somebody else. Also, I find having somebody else or some other platform deliver the message can be easier than you saying, don't do this because I don't want it. Right. I don't know if you've had success with that kind of approach too.
1: I have, I, you know, I have a podcast and a book about sustainable minimalism. So my, my, my experience is different. My family has to be on board. This is my job. This is my career, but I can understand how, you know, somebody who's not entrenched in the eco minimalist world would have trouble talking with their family about this, but it, you're so right. The status quo isn't working. If you talk to moms, they, it's not working for them. Piles of toys. So I always use this example. No joke. I counted when my first daughter was born. You know, everybody gives a gift. I'm so fortunate to have such loving family and friends. But she had over 80 infant-sized frilly dresses when she was born. And that is just very thoughtful, but very impractical. There was not enough days that she was going to be size infant to wear 80-something dresses. And it just like... It's not working. The consumption is stressing moms and dads out, homeowners everywhere. Because what do you do? You got to clean, you got to maintain, you got to hang up, you got to wash, you got to this, you got to that. You got to put away when the toddler rips them down. You got to store it. And it's really the status quo. That status quo is not doing anything for our planet. It's harming it. And the change starts with us.
0: I see it also with kitchen gadgets and different kinds of quote-unquote convenience appliances you know instapot came out and then air fryers and then I feel like the list is longer I don't have any of those but it's it's like we're constantly chasing our tail these new things come out and I described I described this on a another podcast about something totally different recently but it's like companies are solving a problem we don't have Right. They're making these things and then coming up with a marketing spin to make it feel like it's going to change our lives when we really didn't have a problem in the first place. And yes, I know people, you know, live and die by their Instant Pot and that's amazing. I'm glad you find it useful. But if you have one and then you're like, Oh, but what about an air fryer? What will that do to me? Or I hear a lot of people, you know, ask others what their experience is with. And my first question back is, What is the problem you are trying to solve? Like, do you actually need to do this or do you have a slow cooker already that you're totally fine putting something in the morning and having it cook all day? Like, are you really stressing out about not being able to cook a frozen chicken in four minutes or (laughs) whatever they can do? Right. So there's certain things that, yeah, there's lots of different gadgets that might make our lives easier in the moment, but at what cost? And I feel like we just keep chasing to the lowest common denominator and we keep going for the, I don't know, just that dangling carrot. But at what point do we pause and say, actually, there's things that we just need to, you know, put some time into our day and and do it instead of constantly building up stuff to try to make things easier, which you then need to clean, maintain, replace, store, right? Yeah. Have bigger houses. It's such a snowball. That was a bit of a tangent.
1: Well, you no, know, you're, it, it speaks to me. <laughs> it totally speaks to me. You're, I think, referring to the, it's like the work spend hamster wheel. I believe it's called where we work really hard. We make money. We're feeling discontent. And then we think that we can solve that discontent with a purchase. And so we purchase. And I, w- I just want to say to anybody who's, who's listening, who feels like they're on that hamster wheel that hamster wheel has been curated by savvy advertisers and marketers. They want you to stay on that hamster wheel because that means that they keep pushing products and they keep getting richer. It's not serving us. And, and to your point about people loving their Instapot, Instant Pot, I don't even know what it's called. But to people to that point, yes, some products genuine, genuinely can add to our lives and can genuinely add value. But the bottom line here is that there's an awful lot of stuff that is pushed on us that we don't need. We don't even necessarily want, but we're just bringing it into our homes, cluttering our homes, wasting our hard-earned money because we think that's
0: what we're supposed to do. That's where I was when I first, before I started down this path. Totally. And I think, you know, it's the marketing. It's also, we are, it's funny, we're more disconnected, but also more connected than ever before. So if you're in Mom's groups on Facebook and you see people raving about something. It's really easy to feel that FOMO, right? That fear of missing out if you don't have this gadget or, or thing. And so I think we are all well served to before buying anything. And I think that that's kind of the, the crux of conscious consumerism, regardless of what your, your goal is. But it really takes more of an effort now because there's so much information coming at us and so much psychology that goes into marketing to make us feel like we need it. So for those who have realized that they could probably do with some decluttering, but don't make the time or have a hard time finding the time thinking it's just too much effort. What advice do you have for them right at the beginning?
1: Okay, great question. So number one, I just want to clarify that for me, decluttering is not about creating a space that is that sparks joy, let's say it's that decluttering is not the end goal. The purpose of decluttering is that for most people, for me and for a lot of listeners who write to me, they say that the process of decluttering their home is a transformative experience because it really forces you to sit with that uncomfortable feeling of, oh my goodness, I wasted my hard-earned money on this item that I never used, didn't want, didn't like in the first place. Oh my goodness, what a waste. And when you declutter a whole home or a whole household full of such items, it really hits home the difference between a want versus a need. And so for people who are reluctant to start or don't know where to start, Step one is to know that it's a process. Decluttering is really step one, but you will experience significant benefits from just decluttering a space, one space, even an easy space. You research has found that tidy spaces decrease feelings of stress and anxiety, increase in intermarital or family harmony because you're not fighting about who didn't put their toys away or who left their clothes on the floor. And it's a significant reduction in the mental load, mental loan meaning all the stuff on our brains all the time. So you will experience personal benefits by letting go of the stuff that you don't need to hold on to. I will, of course, say this is an eco-minimalist speaking. Don't throw it in the trash. Try to sell it. Try to give it away. Try to donate it. Try to put it in your buy nothing group. The, the landfill, the trash can should be the last resort but that's i guess another question for another day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's a big hurdle in and of itself. I have piles of clothes in garbage bags in my basement that the kids have outgrown and making the time to go and take them somewhere where they can actually get used again. <laughs> you know, that's another thing that you that i think is important to plan for. So, if you're picking a room to declutter, I tend to think that I can do more in less time than it takes in reality. This has been, I don't know if it's my like type A overachiever personality. It's just how I've been, I think, probably for my whole life. And so I'll get into something and I'm like, okay, I'm going to clear out the kids' drawers and closets and figure out what doesn't fit. And then I'm going to do mine. And then I'm also going to clear out the bookshelf. And then I'll get into it. And four hours later, I have done the kids' dressers and closets. And now I have a pile of stuff that I also have to get rid of. And so mapping out the complete cycle, I think, is important for people so that you do have that block of time then to know where you can donate or know where you can give away because that takes time as well. And yes, I know that time is important. Important and it's a, you know, we've almost commoditized time now, and that can be something that people have a hard time doing. And I think it's where people really struggle with tying in that eco piece because if you're cleaning out the house, it's so much easier just to chuck it all in a garbage. I mean, maybe not clothes, it's easier for people to know what to do with clothes, but thinking of like, I don't know, toys and just going around and picking up the little things that have accumulated and figuring out whether it's recyclable or give away a bowl or garbage like that mental load is almost easier just to chuck in the bin so how do you kind of amp yourself up to do the right thing for the environment
1: so i should say we've all been there right we've all just been so fed up with the
0: clutter that we're tossing it in the big trash can I've and totally we're putting it done that we I all will, have. I will, yeah i'm like <laughs> i'm saying this and i want to be fully transparent with you all that like nobody's perfect Mm-mm. And so I have totally been there, where it's like, okay, either I do this now or I don't do it all. Screw it. And if it's a lot, then I will usually pause and not do it. But I've totally thrown stuff out. Me
1: too. We've we've all done it. I always suggest that people. So let's say you're tackling. Let's say you're tackling the garage. I don't suggest anybody starts at the garage. By no. but let me <laughs> let me back up and say anybody who's starting to declutter. You start somewhere super easy. Maybe you declutter your mugs, just your mugs. Don't do the whole kitchen, just do your mugs. Or maybe you just do your linen closet. There's nothing emotional in your linen closet. Maybe you just do your linen closet. Don't do the whole bathroom, just the sheets and towels. So start really small. When you're doing something bigger, like a whole garage, and you think to yourself, okay, that's going to take me a weekend, a full Saturday, a full Sunday. My partner and I, We can declutter the whole garage on Saturday and Sunday. I always suggest to my listeners, you need to also then block off the following Saturday and Sunday. Like, so write in on your calendar. This is the weekend for decluttering. The following weekend is for schlepping all the perfectly good stuff that you've decided you no longer have use for to the places where they want to go. You got to block off the, you got to double the time. You got to double the time responsibility, if that makes sense.
0: A lot of people are probably heading into spring cleaning season when this episode is airing and i would argue that this is the perfect time to start doing this i think there's something to be said about the that spring sense of renewal i think we probably have more energy and interest in stuff like this when the weather starts to warm up if you're in a climate like mine where we have a ton of snow and it's freezing cold right now So think about this, you know, think beyond just doing a deep clean of your house. Think about how you can look at decluttering and incorporate a more minimalist lifestyle first, because then the cleaning will be easier. You probably won't have to go through that rigorous deep clean as much because it'll be easier to keep your spaces cleaner in the first place. And so. That's my suggestion for you. If you are normally a spring cleaning kind of person, take the tips that Stephanie has given today and hopefully some of the, hopefully we've inspired you and given you some kind of mental ammunition to focus on this in this episode and approach spring cleaning maybe a little bit differently.
1: I just want to say there too that you we touched on in our conversation this, but I really just want to hone in on it, which is that I think it's about changing our relationship with our stuff. And so again, back to decluttering, being transformative. I'm sure listeners are listening, thinking, oh, heck no, that's not possible. But trust us, trust me. It is. And then when you start thinking about, okay, I have this this lacrosse stick in the garage and I don't play lacrosse anymore. I played that in college and I'm old and don't do that anymore. But it's perfectly working. Who can I give this to? When we start thinking about our stuff in terms of how can we extend its life or does this item truly fit in with the season of life I'm in? And if the answer is no, you don't bring it home. I think that's where the change starts. It's like decluttering is a reaction to too much stuff. It's all about where we started the conversation. So let's bring it back around. It's about being proactive and only bringing the stuff in and only holding on to the stuff that that improves or works with our current season of life, if that makes
0: any sense. Totally. And I think, you know, if people feel like they need to go through a big decluttering process because they haven't been that conscious of it before, auditing, and that can be a scary word for people, but again, goes back to being conscious, really paying attention to what you are decluttering so that you can identify patterns and habits that you've got into so that you can interrupt those. Because if you just go through your house and you just throw stuff out without thinking about it, you're probably going to end up bringing more of the same back in, right?
1: Yes. And if you have trouble finding a place for that, to give that lacrosse stick or that instant pot, and it weighs on you and it's a significant time commitment. Every, every possession takes money and time to maintain, money to pay for, time to maintain, but then also mental effort to like pass on. When we have trouble passing on that lacrosse stick, let's say that is going to inform our future purchasing decisions as to, do I really need this? Do I want to put that mental and stress time in that stress in to declutter this when I no longer want it? So it's all connected.
0: (laughs) Yes. And I think that theme off the top of, of conscious consumerism, it's really a conscious consumer life cycle, right? It's, it's looking at, it's not just cradle to grave you know speaking of the kind of life cycle analysis of of product manufacturing where you look at the impact from manufacture to when it ends up in landfill it's cradle to cradle is the term where you want to end up thinking about the whole process and how to continue the life of a product and really look at what happens for you as well as the product each step of the way I love it Where can people go to learn more from you if they would like to continue having this conversation with you?
1: My podcast is called Sustainable Minimalists. It is found everywhere that podcasts can be found. My book is called Sustainable Minimalism. That's wherever books are found. I suggest you ask your library if they have it. You don't need another book. Just read it from the library. And my by the way, my publisher is going to hate me for saying that, but, I'm, but please leave it in. <laughs> and I can be found. So social media is hard for me, but I post most on Instagram. My handle is Sustainable Minimalist.
0: I will drop all of those links as well as your website into the show notes. I highly encourage that you go check out Stephanie, give her podcast a subscribe and check out her book. Thank you so much for joining me, Stephanie. Thank you, Emma. This was so much fun. Wait, before you go, I have a quick favor to ask. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and like what you've heard, please take a moment to hit subscribe and leave a five-star rating and a written review. You can do it right from the app. It takes just a sec and really helps me to be able to continue to share this important information with more people. Plus, you might just get a shout out on a future episode. Thanks so much and bye for now.